Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing, more than a feeling. To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save Your life To be powered by love Welcome Well, as I said, welcome everybody. This is the Binge the Bible Breakdown, where we are working through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, in six weeks. And this is week number three. So we're glad that you're with us as we start diving into some wisdom literature. Uh, But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Nathan, pastor here at Elk River Lutheran. And Jeremy Holquist, intern pastor. Yes. And so as I said, we're binging the Bible and working our way through these different sections of books of the Bible. And so we started with the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Then we got into the historical books, these books that tell this long kind of history. And now we're getting into wisdom literature, which is kind of an interesting collection of books, which are collections of readings and poetry and stories and proverbs, you know, little wisdom pieces. And so uh, we've got an image here that we will... uh, put up that I think kind of uh, lists the books at least. So you see this is the sections of the books that we're talking about and we'll get to the questions in a minute. I think what I want to kind of start with what sets this section of the Bible apart from really the whole rest of the Bible is where most of the Bible is written to be read kind of all as one. Like that's the case with the Pentateuch and with these other books of the Bible where it's like you're meant to start at the beginning and kind of read through the end. It's this one big sweeping story. This section of wisdom literature is almost all collections, with one exception, Job, which we'll get to as a weird exception to a lot of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is one big story. But when you look at the others, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, those are all these kind of collections of poetry and different ideas, kind of little nuggets of wisdom that have been put together. And so uh, they come to us as single books, but are really collections. They're mixtapes, if you're you know, right. making mixtapes or you know, collections of literature. It's the encyclopedia versus like a book about one subject, right? Right, and it's thinking about multiple authors and yeah. multiple time frames. So this isn't someone sat down in a room and said, oh, here's what we need to write. But there's just kind of this variety of, of story and people that make up these books. Yeah, and so that makes them seem a little odd because they don't like, like they all are written differently or sound differently, take on a variety of subjects. But that's part of their richness, too, is they are taking on a variety of topics and really embracing, you know, kind of human life. And so I think in the in the introduction that will be in the Bible or in the in the Bible, in the bulletin this weekend, uh, you said this, you know, that these books probe deeply into the questions of evil and suffering love and the human condition and that's really it and so um, this little image that we threw up has the uh, these different kinds of themes and questions laid out I don't know if we want to really dig into those as one or we just kind of encourage you you can kind of look at that if you want to really spend some time with it you can pause 
Yeah, I think one of the things to note about that image is this this kind of general theme. Think about this as like a um, an umbrella uh, approach. It does a lot of good if you take it as a whole picture, but it kind of misses some of the nuances within it. That's one of the limits of graphics, of course. Yeah. Um, but I think these questions then kind of probe deeper into our human story, our human emotion, um, and kind of this interplay with um, both our people we agree with or don't agree with or... Um, our questions about God. I mean, these things kind of wrestle with this kind of inner longing for for relationship that comes out of these books of wisdom. Yeah. And so I think it's good to like have a good starting point, have a good place to go, oh, what's really going on? Otherwise, even books like Job will feel like, oh, this is doom and gloom and the end of the world. Like, yeah. if you don't kind of get that big picture, you might kind of wrestle with this. Well, what's this all about? Or right. why does this not make sense? Yeah. So we're going to dive in and we're going to have some fun with some sections and books of these Bibles. Uh, but we're going to start with Job, which fun is not probably the word I would describe. <laughs> used to describe the book of Job. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of things. Fun, not really. Right. So, uh, yeah, so the story of Job is this story of the Bible. Like I said, this is the only book in this section that really, really, truly reads front to back. Like beginning to end, it has a narrative and it is a story. Um, and so I think people in, in history have kind of wondered and questioned, like, is this a true story? Well, yeah, I think it's true. But then people ask, well, is this factual or was this written as a parable to kind of help explore the issues of suffering and, you know, good things or bad things happening to good people? And um, so I think there's, you know, biblical scholars, who, you know, raise those questions and wonder. Mm -hmm. But I think regardless of whether you know it was is read as a newspaper accounting or a, um, or a, you know a parable, there's some deep truths in this, and it really right. gets at some big life questions. Right. And I think one of the uh, kind of leading us in the conversation is this idea of like karmic justice. I mean, mm -hmm. we talk about karma a lot. But, yeah. You know, if you do bad things, bad things eventually will catch up with you at some right. point. Um, Job is kind of the the polar opposite of this karmic notion. Uh, really saying, you know, Job doesn't deserve what happens to Job. Uh, right. By all accounts, yeah. God brags about him in the first chapter. I mean, this is kind of an upright, upstanding gentleman, you know, doing everything by the book, worshiping God, kind of following yeah. all these protocols, and yet is subjected to this kind of manipulative um, suffering that happens. Yeah, You know, it's this interplay between God and Satan and these conversations about who deserves this, uh, Satan really saying, you know, if bad things happen to people, they're going to curse God's name. Yeah. And Job is kind of completely counterpoint to that. Yeah, because essentially, to set the stage for the story, I mean, God and Satan are just hanging out and make a bet, right? I mean, Satan says, I bet I can turn a really faithful person unfaithful by making bad things happen. And right. God says, no, I don't think so. I'll take that bet. And then poor Job is the subject <laughs> of the bet. And and so all this torment from Satan and, um, you know, he, he loses, you know, everything by the end. And, and in an attempt for, you know, Satan and God to just have this kind of little bet. And that's where it's it's a weird story, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And trying to make sense of this meaning and, you know, what is God up to? What does it say about the character of God versus, yeah. you know, even Job's character? Um, I think there's this kind of unique bounce around of 
of what is deserving or what is justice, what is God in this story? Um, and I think it's a good question for us to kind of wrestle with as we think about, you know, what is God's role in suffering? What is God's role in kind of bad things and good things? Mm-hmm. Um, and really, how do we make sense and meaning of that um, as people of God? Yeah, because I think, I mean, you can disagree with this. You don't think if you don't agree with it. But I mean, I think the one of the main themes in Job is Job's continued faithfulness and trust in God, right? I mean, that's right. ultimately what he comes back to. Every time something bad happens, he doesn't spend a lot of time trying to figure out who he should blame for it. He just kind of continues to trust that, okay, life can get better. God is still God, and it'll be okay. Right. He doesn't celebrate that life is great, because it's not. But, right. but there's a faithfulness that isn't grounded in life being perfect but a faithfulness grounded in God being God and God will continue to provide and sustain and help Job even when it's is you know the things are looking down right and the element of trust right Job yeah. has to has to balance this what's happening to him with saying God is who God is and yeah. and some of that I, I have to live with whatever may come of the world um, and there's this kind of interesting interplay I love the the friends yeah uh, you know with friends like these who needs enemies so this is kind of yeah. a great way to think about these stories is they're trying to balance god's action as well you did something wrong you deserve this punishment um and job keeps kind of reframing this and saying well no i didn't I, right there's nothing i did that that yeah. warranted this action um and even so like this idea of justice um elihu the fourth friend in this story um, if Job is innocent, it's a completely untrue statement, according to Elihu, uh, because no one can be innocent before God. Sure. So it kind of plays with this sense that yeah. we're, we're guilty by just being human. Um, and so it is God's love and God's mercy that kind of moves us into this story. Right. And so there's this interesting kind of friendship and play that happens yeah. um, in that. Yeah, and ultimately... Um, a lot of bad things happen, mm-hmm. but spoiler alert, <laughs> it, it ends with kind of Job's life being restored, right? Because you know God has won the bet; <laughs> Job remains faithful, and so it's restored. Yeah. One thing to note too is that Job, God's interaction is not an answer to the story. Sure. God doesn't say, "Well, here's why." Yep. Um, instead, God kind of points Job to more questions. Were you there when the world was created mm-hmm. to know how that your life is a part of yeah. this bigger story of creation? Um, and I think it begins to kind of help us wrestle with maybe I'm just a piece in part of this huge puzzle of life um, instead of being the centerpiece of that huge puzzle of life. Right. Because um, I think that's the one of the big takeaways of, of Job is that there are no easy answers given for these big questions of, you know, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen, period? Like, all of those things, there aren't neat, clean answers given. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't know about you, that's pretty accurate to my experience of life, too. You know, whereas I wish it was maybe different, but that's kind of what I've experienced, too. And this wrestles with that. Right. And even, you know, the end result of Job's restoration, he's given a wife and children, not his wife and children. Sure. So it's not a full restoration. Yeah. He, Job still has to live with the suffering and pain and the reality of life, but he's also confronted with this hopeful promise that, that God is still in this. Yeah. 
And so it's kind of a, a challenging book to read. Yeah. Um, it's important to note, too, this is one of the older books in the Old Testament. Sure. Um, so as you're thinking about this, how this all interplays with the rest of Scripture, it really kind of probes at these wonderings and questions that people are having. Yeah. And so continue to think about that as that kind of larger question. So we don't get an answer at right. the end of Job. We're kind of left with our, our questions and wonderings. Yeah, and I think that's kind of accurate to what we see through this whole wisdom literature section of the Bible is we, they wrestle with big questions, all of these books and authors and you know everything, and there aren't neat and clean answers given. Right. Like there, we and that's when you're wrestling with the big questions of life. That's kind of what you get is right. is not always neat and clean answers. Yeah. And so, uh, the next section, unless you have anything, more no, for Job. I think, yeah. Job uh, if you want to read Job, I mean, it is one of the more readable like books of the Old Testament as far as like it does carry through, but it does ask these big questions. Like it, it's a readable story, but it's a heavy story. Right. And so, um, yeah, it's one to definitely check out. Also very readable are the Psalms. You know, yep. that's a book of the Bible that is probably most visited in, in worship contexts. You know, so much music and, you know, many worship services have either readings of psalms or singing of psalms uh, in them. Bible camp, where we're headed this weekend, is mm-hmm. uh, you know full of uh, songs about psalms, uh, sung psalms. And and so uh, as we enter these book of psalms, I'm guessing everyone comes with some kind of knowledge and understanding that psalms are these like kind of poetically written songs, sometimes sung, sometimes spoken, sometimes read responsively in worships. And uh, probably somewhat familiar with some psalms so i'd be curious if you're watching with us drop in the comments what is your favorite psalm do you have a favorite psalm there's 150 to choose from they're on all kinds of themes some are happy some are really laments and sad and and some are challenging and some are just kind of odd you know there's all kinds of psalms 150 of them and so what's your favorite one and uh Maybe I'll ask you that. That wasn't in the notes. I'll put you on the spot. Do you have a favorite psalm? Yeah, I, for me, Psalm 121 will always kind of be um, a grounding psalm for me. Yeah. And it's this idea that uh, I lift my eyes to the heavens. Where does my help come from? This uh, this notion that we sort of wonder aloud where God is in, in our story. Yeah. And being able to sit with this uh, this notion that God kind of enters in, not letting... God doesn't slumber or sleep on our stories, but yeah. moves within our stories. And I absolutely love that. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. How about yours? Yeah, you know, I actually, I think of Psalm 121 a lot, too. It's one that I really, really like. Um, another one that I like, too, that I often think of it being sung uh, by by you, too, and then we sang at the camp I worked at, is Psalm 40, which uh, has these lines, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry and it's a psalm of it's not necessarily a lament i don't think but it is a psalm about like waiting for god and experiencing god you know right. even in the miry pit is, is the language that's used like so when you're down god being there and, and again i think of bono singing it over and over again and stuff. So, but it's, oh, it's psalm 40 so there's a musical version you can check it out psalm 40 yeah um it's just called 40 the song by u2 um and but it's it's a great sung version of the psalms sure. and there's a lot of sung versions of psalms out right. there and that's a favorite of mine so yeah i think you know as you're commenting we'd love to hear those even as we look back later on if you're watching this later still leave us comments. yeah yeah absolutely um, 
But I think, you know, it's important to note those kind of four types because you hinted and alluded. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, songs of, uh, psalms of praise, psalms of uh, cry for help, oh Lord, where are you? How long will you forsake me? Those types yeah. of things. This psalms of lament, this uh, sort of breaking of the human heart uh, yeah. before God and saying, God, why have you abandoned us? Uh, it's yeah. kind of probing at this human question. Um, and then this idea of trust, that trust becomes the yeah. center of... Um, this usually kind of questioning God and then turning to the sense of, but you promised and you are still there. You know, this kind of shift yeah. in, in conversation. I think that's a great way to kind of think about yeah. them. So as you're thinking about the, that human story, where kind of those psalms all compile together. Yeah, you know, and when we think about the authorship of the Psalms, there's uh, King David, who we talked about just last week, because he shows up in those historical books, his story. Um, David is is credited to have written many of the Psalms, so when you're reading in a Bible, often underneath the Psalm number, it'll maybe have a title, and then it'll say, a Psalm of David, or a Psalm of so-and-so, you know, right. a Psalm from the Assembly. <laughs> um, uh, because, of course, the Book of Psalms was written not as a book of psalms but all these kind of individual songs and poetry that were used in in worship and then ultimately kind of gathered all together and so you have pieces written by a lot of different people over a lot of different years collected into these and kind of boiled down to these 150 that we know as the psalms so that's where you get all these different themes and you know voices coming through in the psalms Right. I think it's um, kind of interesting as you're thinking about, you know, when we think about pastoral care or you think about mm-hmm. visiting someone in the hospital, that's almost always the go-to source. Yeah. Uh, because the Psalms really sort of name our story. Yeah. I mean, they, they begin to encapsulate our experience in ways that are just these powerful testaments of yeah. God showing up. You bet. Yeah. You know, we, last year when we did the whole thing on David, did a whole series on Psalms. So if you want to go back and dive deep into Psalms in those sections, those different categories, in that talk we did a lot of that. We're breaking down into the the different categories of Psalms uh, because David wrote so many of them. So when we were talking about David, we we did a lot on that. So there's a lot of information out there that breaks down those different categories, but Ultimately, the Psalms also are just really readable. And so, you know, you can work your way through the Psalms. There's 150 of them, so it'll take a while. But but um, you'll be blessed just reading 1 to 150, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, no, I think that's a great way to kind of intro yourself to the Psalms. Yeah. Well, a book of the Bible that we do not hear of much in worship, that there aren't a lot of songs written based on, is a... Uh, the book of Proverbs. And and the reason I think why we don't ever hear Proverbs, at least not you know, ever, but at least not very often in worship is because they are Proverbs. They're like primarily these single verses that don't flow. And so within our you know scriptural and worship tradition, we often read a scripture reading or a few scripture readings that are a passage. And so the Proverbs aren't really necessarily read are written to read like 10 in a row or like you know they're meant to be like here's a chunk of wisdom a chunk of knowledge and you know stew on this for a while let it ruminate mm-hmm. a little bit and and so it doesn't really fit into our 
our tradition and worship, right? Um, and yet, boy, are there some golden nuggets of wisdom uh, in there, right? There's some really funny, weird, playful advice, and and then some really deep and you know profound wisdom too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think yeah. about Proverbs? Uh, well, the two things I would point out is, one, we kind of attribute a, a significant portion of them to King Solomon. So Solomon, the wise yeah. king, uh, the one who divides the baby in half to find the real mother, that kind of wise Solomon. Yeah. Um, so think about that as kind of a framework and where it might fit into the, the scriptural context. Uh, the other thing I would point out is uh, wisdom is feminine in Proverbs. Yeah. And so thinking about this female voice, if you're a lady, you may read it very differently because it kind of negatively portrays women for a good chunks of, of Proverbs. Mm-hmm. But thinking about it in terms of, of the power and voice of females yeah. um, and who we should really sort of take our wisdom from. So there's a, this kind of interplay both in human experience as well as kind of this, this image of relationship that yeah. comes with wisdom. And so if you leave wisdom unattended, eventually we we fail to learn we fail to grow so thinking about that as a a part of our human story that goes with it wisdom is feminine in greek too so that carries into the new testament and Mm -hmm. uh, the the greek word is sophia so if you ever know uh anyone named sophia that's the greek word for wisdom and uh maybe there's something to that that wisdom is female and maybe men shouldn't be making all the decisions and claiming all the all the power so uh, maybe there's something there right uh i i think we could all learn from that and so um we had pulled up some of just our our favorite proverbs i I got a little bit of list here yeah i think should we say the one that kind of centers the entire book first maybe that might be let's go there Laugh. I think let's show the silly ones first and then okay. actually get at okay, what's this all about? Sure. I think that works. Yeah. Because I want to share some of this great wisdom that's here. And so these are a kind of a list here that's actually, like you had said, this is the message translation. And so these will read a little different depending on what translation of the Bible you have. But I think there's some of these that are just so funny, but also kind of profound too. So uh, maybe we can just share some. I don't know sure. if you have some of these too. Okay. If you don't have an if you don't have oxen, at least your barn is clean. <laughs> so there you go. Like that's that's looking on the bright side of life. Yeah. Um, this is one that, for whatever it's worth, I find funny. Uh, come, let us belly up to the bar and drink uh, love all night. Let's enjoy all the delights of caressing each other. Full disclosure: I'm married, but he's not home. There you go. Okay. And then it, yeah, right. And then it gets into this whole thing about you know a fool runs into not only the situation but also the husband. Sure. So don't don't go there. Yeah. Um, here's one from Proverbs chapter twenty six verse eleven. It's kind of gross, but I think it's really funny and kind of profound. Uh, a dog returns to its vomit like a fool does wrong again (laughs) and uh i just think it's a really graphic image but i mean yeah pretty profound like i you know we continue to do wrong over and over again and repeat mistakes over and over and the image of it being like a dog returning to a pile of its own vomit is pretty funny i think because like if it wasn't good the first time dog maybe you shouldn't eat it again we can say that dog's kind of foolish, but how often are we the foolish dog, you know, repeating the same mistakes? Right. 
Uh, don't retaliate and say, I'm going to even the score. Wait for the Lord. He packs a bigger punch. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, it's better to eat veg- vegetables in a house filled with love than to eat steaks served by someone who hates you. Yeah. Now, of course, in biblical tradition and you know, kind of ancient times, to eat meat is the best thing. So vegetarians are also like always the butt of a joke. Like if you're eating vegetables in ancient times, like you're you're poor and foolish, basically yeah. is like what, which is always kind of funny for framing for vegetarians today. Right. Um, or this one I love too. Even a fool looks smart with his mouth shut. If he doesn't say anything, he could actually look uh, intelligent. Yeah, right? Right. So sometimes it's better to keep your mouth closed and see where you end up. Yes. Um, And some of these, you know, I think we really get into this in Song of Solomon where it's like a little uh, dated, but I think you can still get some of the points. A horse needs a whip and a donkey needs a bridle, but a jackass needs a kick in the butt. <laughs> the word of the Lord, y'all. Uh, there you go. I mean, there's so much. I don't know. Do you have another one or no. any more that you really want to get into? No, I think the you know the idea is that um, we confront the realities, but also mm-hmm. you know it's about uh, there's proverbs in there about lying tongues and oh, you know yeah. keeping your word and I mean it's really you have, to, you have to kind of wrestle with these things in terms of how do we how do we weigh our human story against it. Yeah. Before we started, you shared that um, one of the places and times you've used the book of Proverbs is in men's canoe trips to yep. the Boundary Waters. And, and I love that idea of sitting around a fire because I think, and reading through these, because I think these really are, like, it, it's hard to use them in the worship context because it's like you have to, like, you can't just read, like, six of them and then try to preach a sermon on six because they're so different. Like, they're not always connected. They're kind of these standalone, like, one minute you're talking about dog vomit and then the next you're talking about, like, you know, gossip behind someone's back. Like, you know, I mean, they're they're big issues and they're not always real connected. And yet, you know, when you can go through verse by verse and say, oh, boy, what do you think about this one? Oh, man, how about this one? I mean, I'm sure that those are profound conversations and yeah, fun. <laughs> right. And, you know, you laugh and you also go, oh, that hurt. Like, yeah. You know, you're confronted with your stuff. And I think that's one of the beauties of those, uh, the Proverbs as a whole. Yeah. And so I think with that kind of framing, I think it would be to share this one that kind of holds together. Like, why are all of these random bits and pieces of advice even in the Bible, right? Why does the book of Proverbs exist and this whole section of the Bible exist? Right. And I think that's that um, if you wanted like a core verse to hang your hat on in Proverbs, um, starts at 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The sense of like where does it all begin kind of begins with God's conversation. Mm-hmm. That as we learn to live in relationship, we also have this element of fear and learning. I think I want to tie those words together. Uh, but our sense of how we grow as people starts in our root foundation is with God. Yeah. And so thinking about that, all of these things that are both funny and lighthearted also really play into the rest of these stories. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's the the notion that kind of carries through certainly the whole book of Proverbs, but even this whole section of kind of wisdom literature is that, that God has baked deep wisdom and knowledge into this world, and mm-hmm. we ought to be exploring it and wrestling with it as, as people, not just as a, 
as a faith practice, yes, but I mean, this is, you know, this is everyday applied faith. This isn't just head knowledge, but it's heart and, you know, soul, whole body knowledge. Right, and really thinking about it in terms of um, beginning to sit at the feet of wisdom leads to a long and happy life. And yeah. you'll discover that sort of notion of, of how do I continue to figure out relationship throughout this. Yeah. So check out the Proverbs. Yeah, the, the, the Proverbs is another book because of the way it's written, kind of like the Psalms. You can read cover to cover or you can just flip verse to verse practically, certainly chapter to chapter, but even verse to verse. And you will find some really weird and really profound things in the right. book of Proverbs. That's right. <laughs> How's that for an endorsement? Find some weird and profound things in the book of Proverbs. But that's Here it. Weird things throughout the entirety of Scripture that contextually don't make sense for us now but. true that yeah and we'll get more of that in song of solomon i think but but the next section uh the next book of the bible we're looking at is ecclesiastes and this is where uh if i wasn't worried about getting copyright infringement uh issues I, i'd start playing turn 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 by the birds uh mm -hmm. that classic for every thing there is a season and a time and uh, it'd be really sweet but again um, copyright issues being what they were we'll we'll just let you imagine that song playing in your head as we right. enter the book of ecclesiastes which uh, kind of an interesting book of the bible because it does ask kind of the question like what's the point of life but almost asks it as a hypothetical and a shrug of the shoulders like what's the point of life like right. like not actually looking to answer it but just to kind of be like almost kind of wrestle with like it feels like life is pointless right yeah and this is uh so thinking about the sort of character development this is a good one for yeah. thinking about this person sure. um who has everything is blessed by everything is still yep. he, you know made every trip around the sun and found joy um in all of the things they have acquired and still says, well, you know, it's all vanity or vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Yeah. I mean, it's this sort of lamenting. Um, everything is meaningless and having everything doesn't make life better. Right. Um, and this, this struggle as a human to figure out, what do I do with it when I have everything and it still doesn't feel valued? Yeah. Um, and Ecclesiastes really kind of flips the script on Job and Proverbs. Um, from losing and having and gaining and all of these sort of things to more of a, a sense of what they're called to be. Right. Yeah, and so, like, you get that in, like, in this chapter three, this everything has a time. You know, you get these this beautiful poetic language about, you know, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. And it goes through, it's, it's, it's just this beautiful kind of poetic language, but then it, it kind of gets to it, you know, to say, you know, well, but what gain have the workers for their toil? I've seen the business that God gives everyone to be busy with. He's made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, there's a sense of past and future. You know, I know there's nothing better for them than to be happy, enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it's God's gift that we should eat, drink, and take pleasure in their toil. You know, but ultimately at the end, it's like, but what's the point? You know, ultimately right. that's it. That's right. all there is, it seems. Yeah, chasing these things is like chasing after the wind or a vapor yeah. of breath that just sort of flutters away. Um, that yeah. is this really interesting perspective. Yeah, and so if you read Ecclesiastes, there's these really beautiful kind of parts to hold on to, and then there's this still kind of like, 
but what's the point? You know, <laughs> and you know, I suppose uh, you know someone might say, well, you, maybe, well, obviously in our tradition of faith that there is something bigger than just this life, but then also, I mean, you can even say, it. I mean, a part of a part of the adventure is the journey itself, you right. know, and and you get hints of that all through Ecclesiastes that. Yeah. Well, of course there's meaning like even as he's asking well what's the point of all this just being with family and friends and experiencing the love of community ugh, what's the point of any of this you know, it's like well that seems to be some pretty good points there and, right and even to think about uh, the author kind of comes to the conclusion that this moment what i've been given is what i'm called to enjoy yeah um, essentially right here right now whatever i'm sitting in is the place that i'm called to be yeah. And it doesn't get much better if I keep pushing beyond that, and it doesn't get much better if I think about the past all the time. Yeah. Uh, but rather take in this moment, um, eat, drink, and be merry kind of a, right. a approach. Yeah, that there is value and deep significance in the here and the now, right. and and that's to be enjoyed. Right. I, um, I would liken the kind of end result of this is kind of walking out and seeing the sunset. Sure. You know, it, it steals your breath. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah. But it's fleeting. Um, and thinking about that sense of like an experience that just sort of ultimately goes away um, and they can either kind of live in that moment or I can be so distracted and doing everything else that I miss the opportunity Yeah. and really thinking about that is this idea of uh, purpose and season in the moment that we're called to be yeah yeah yeah, one other section I'd love to share here too that I think is, again, it kind of gets at this wisdom and it's a part of Ecclesiastes that's maybe a little better known. And I think even, I like to frame it in that that whole kind of meaningless, pointless life thing that it's like, well, actually what's being highlighted here doesn't seem so meaningless and pointless. And, and uh, it's from Ecclesiastes chapter four. This is often a section that gets read at weddings. Um, I read it at weddings a lot myself. Um, and it's the value of a friend. And so, like I say, a lot of times it gets read in the context of a wedding, but it's really talking about relationships in general. And so I'm just going to read a few verses here and, uh, and let them kind of soak, because I think there's some good wisdom here. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift the other. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie down, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, I, I think maybe there's some wisdom in that, in that when life seems challenging or questionable or pointless, there is great comfort and support in community you know mm -hmm. that if that's what you're feeling is a sense of hopelessness and helplessness it's not necessarily a time to push away from everyone but a time to find that community and search out others to to dwell with you because that's where there's strength right yeah and the the again that sort of root foundation of where is god in the middle of those relationships and where they intersect yeah, um, and I think that becomes an important part of this factor too. Yeah, absolutely. And I always kind of when I'm talking about this in the context of weddings, you know, it, it, that last verse, verse twelve, makes this weird turn where it says it's all about 
you know, two people, you know, working together, and then it ends, ends with this chord of three strands, a, a threefold chord. And it's like, well, what's that other, we always kind of think about it as that third strand being God, you know, that it's, that God is this force that brings us together as community. And so, um, you can go check it out. It's Ecclesiastes 4, starting with verse 9, and you'll notice where it's like 2, 2, 2, and then randomly 3. And I think the, the assumption, the, you know, the, what I always read into is that that's this presence of God holding us together. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Well. I'm thinking, okay, we're still here. My device dropped, so. All right. I got nervous for a moment there. Well, um. Are you ready for a little romance in your life? You had a wedding anniversary this week, uh-huh. and so uh, you maybe uh, shared some of these beautiful poetic words with Ellie this this week. Yeah, no, I'm not that talented. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Song of Solomon is, uh, you know, also accredited to to King Solomon, like many of the proverbs are, and it is a book of ultimately kind of love poetry, primarily, and. Mm-hmm. This is a book that a lot of the love poetry has not held up as well as other parts of the Bible that talk about <laughs> faith and life. And so um, I thought I'd just share a few verses that, that uh, I think are some of my favorites uh, from this that really get at, um, I mean, it, it is love poetry, but you know, maybe don't use these as pickup lines here still today, right? So this is from, I'm just going to read a couple verses from chapter 4. How beautiful you are, my love. How very beautiful. This is a good start. This is a good start. Um, Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Choice. Still pretty good. Smart. Your hair is like a flock of goats moving down the slopes of Gilead. Okay, we're kind of kind of veering off a little bit. I don't know if this is holding up. Um, Your hair is like goats. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. Not one of them is alone. (laughs) So you get it. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep, nice white sheep. Not one of them is alone, right? Like you don't have one single tooth just hanging out there. You got a whole whole flock of teeth, all nice and white. And, um, you know, (laughs) <laughs> try to, there's also some sections that are a little dicey and would make me blush a little bit to read because it it gets pretty graphic in some parts but but I think um you know then again you know oh my gosh no I'm, maybe I'll stop there I'll stop there with the flock of sheep that are like a mouthful of teeth um, because it really does I can skip ahead even chapters but but it, 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 some of these come back, and this is like in chapter six, it repeats these again, like all these nice compliments. But you know, and your hair is like goats. Your your teeth are like sheep. Your 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 cheeks are like pomegranates. You know, like um, you know, right. you are tall and slender, like a like a palm tree. You know, there there are compliments that are seemingly nice, and then others that are in these days we would hear them and say i don't think that's great you're you're not probably going to find a lot of song and song of solomon on a greeting card (laughs) no unless it's a kind of weird little greeting card right um but it really does you know i think what what is present in the song of solomon is a celebration of 
human love and intimacy both right. both uh you know kind of that's expressed in poetry but also just physical touch and you know and a real physical intimacy too which is not always present through the bible and i think sets song of solomon apart in that sense that that th- this you know human love and intimacy is celebrated and lifted up as an important and beautiful thing created by God. Right. And it names that in a way that uh, sort of personalizes uh, scripture uh, in our connection to each other. Yeah. Um, that it's not just the sort of Pauline approach where love and intimacy is kind of relegated to private life, but it right. is something that is sort of a public expression of, of love and affection for each other. Yeah, I mean, it is all PDA, right? Public displays of affection on, right. on display here in, in the Song of Solomon. And and so it's I think it's good that this is in the Bible. I mean, we can kind of laugh at some of the different like imagery that's used because it seems so dated. Uh, but in its time, this was pretty juicy stuff, but also like beautiful i mean this is human love at its best and and is to be celebrated and it's in the bible still today so i think we should honor and celebrate that as well yeah i think there's conversation in question too you know why is this in the in scripture as a whole Mm -hmm. i think it's important to note that some people read this as allegory to uh, christ's relationship with the church christ's relationship with us Um, and so there are these components as you read sort of this intimacy of relationship being the way that God responds to us and God responds to the world. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's got some kind of unique roots and debate and all this uh, stuff that goes alongside of it, uh, besides the juiciness, as, he, as you're putting it. Yeah, here. yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of important to think about all of those images. It is also one of the pieces of scripture that really references Old Testament um, from walking in the garden with your lover. Um, yeah. You know, Adam and Eve, like these kind of yeah. images portray and pull through from Old Testament all the way through this this entire book. Yeah. Um, and almost all of them really talk about how God's kind of uh, relational component is still a part of what we're doing today. Right. Yeah. You, you kind of, to really get the, um, the, the depth of it, you do have to kind of know the biblical story. You know, even at this page I'm looking at, it's talking about Pharaoh's chariots. It's talking about, you know, the cedars of Lebanon. It's talking about um, I am the rose of Sharon. Like there's all these kind of allusions to different elements and sections of the Bible that right. are just baked into it. Right. And it's connecting our, our love between people, between the love and God's story, and that we're yeah. not devoid of God's past as people but we're also very deeply connected to that as yeah. we as we live in relationship with each other yeah. yeah and so i think you know i you know highly recommend checking out song of solomon for some interesting reading you know i mean both kind of like funny kind of like oh well that's kind of funny that that's in the bible but also just like there's some really neat I feel like every time I've read, I read through it, I'm like, wow, this is so good. And then it's like, whoa, this is weird. You know, <laughs> like, it's like, right. it's like, wow, this is really beautiful poetry comparing you to, to, you know, your eyes to doves, which are beautiful. And then it's randomly in your hair. It's like goats and your neck is like a gazelle. I'm like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? But, you know, but ultimately there is really beautiful poetry about, you know, about, about nature and creation is present in here in beautiful ways too. Yeah. So. yeah, it's a good read. It's it yeah. makes an interesting read when you begin to th- kind of think about the biblical story with it, mm-hmm. um, and oh, 
Oh yeah, I never really thought about the depth of relationship from, you know, the cedars of Lebanon, like right, right. this kind of obscure thing. Yeah. Uh, but those are the cedars in building the temple. Like right. this is all kind of the importance and value of of God's story. Yeah. And so I think this whole section of the Bible, this wisdom literature, is probably the easiest to jump around in. You know, when we get to the letters of Paul uh, in the New Testament, those likewise are also, you know, bits and pieces you can jump in and out and, you know, find some wisdom sprinkled throughout. And that's definitely the case with the wisdom literature. Job is a big, long read that you maybe read cover to cover. But these other books, like, you can really jump in and out and find, you know, really great pieces. Yeah, and knowing, you know, because you guys are all experts in biblical history, yep. that old, that last two weeks, um, knowing that what we're reading now in wisdom really is smattered throughout these experiences yeah. of Old Testament, you know, King Solomon, and all, I mean, all of these experiences really sort of harken back to what we just learned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Bible is not just written from, you know, chronologically. You start with Genesis and it ends in Revelation, but it's written all throughout these histories and gets clumped together, you know, primarily working from an oral tradition to a written tradition and, um, and then finally put together in these books that we have published here today. And so um, it's a long process and pulling pieces together. And yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in the wisdom literature. So check it out. Out. And by the end of it, you'll be so much wiser. I know. And so we invite you to join us for worship on Sunday. We have a guest preacher who's going to be doing a little teaching and preaching on this. Justin Lind Ayers, a great pastor. You know, I think you'll really appreciate what he has to say. Neat guy. I'm, I'm excited for him to be here. And you know, in the bulletin, uh, we'll have a little guide printed that covers some of the stuff we talked about here and as well as has some readings, uh, recommendations for additional reading. And so you can check that out on Sunday, uh, either in person here at the church or online. And we will see you all for Bible Breakdown again next, next Thursday. Week. So see you then, everybody. Thanks for joining us here today. Take Bye -bye. care. Have a good one. Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money, don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love.